Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Raj's story. If you have not listened to the first part of this conversation, you definitely don't want to jump into today's episode without linking back to the first part. Um, Raj laid a lot of foundation for where he's going today, and I think you'll be lost if you don't listen to part one. So make sure you catch part one before you join us for part two. Where we left off when we were together last time, Raj was in the Nepalese tent being treated by some surgeons, and the world was on fire. Um, we're going to back up just a couple of minutes in the conversation to reset where we were, and um, we'll continue today from where we left off last time. Thanks for listening. Let's see, the best way to do this, this is the reason I didn't go further with this with a lot of people is because it's hard to describe a lot of this. Yeah, there's no words for it. There's no words for it. It's mostly by feel and by sight, and I felt emotions like... It was like a journey. There was parts where I felt like uh, pain and sadness and fear. And then all of a sudden, all, at one point, it was all lifted and there was nothing but just happiness and joy. And you're almost in different spots. Like, I don't know if I was recreating my life or I was on a plane at one point. I was in, felt like in the Nepali mountains, places I'd never been, like all over the world, just in different spots. Just seeing different scenes. It's almost like 
like you're looking at a tourist map, like where you're going to go to a country to visit, and you're seeing different, like a scene of the beach, a scene of the airport, a scene of this. So I felt like I was getting views of the transition point in between. Like you're seeing the spiritual world and your world kind of fading. You're going one, towards one thing. So you're kind of seeing people come and go. Like, like I said, I saw a lot of people going, and I was kind of stuck in the middle there. And I think like the part about um, being in the mountains in Nepal, it felt like I was in like a surgical tent where people were like keeping me down, trying to get me fixed. Um, so it was like different parts to that too. I mean, that, that was its own little, felt like I was there for days being tortured, like tied down to a bed and couldn't get out and the world was on fire. And then the next minute I know I'm in a peaceful place where it's a beach and there's people like just, I felt like the ocean was like the transition place where the souls go through to go to the other side. It was really, that's where I finally came to the conclusion of people walking into the water just going down into it. So, I'm so sorry my questions are so clumsy. No, they're hard. I want to understand. Yeah, this is something you can't even grasp until you... Have experienced it. Or even ask questions about you. I'm assuming that you're just like, what do I ask this guy? I mean, how do... Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, think, I'm, I'm a very visual person, so, I mean, I'm sorry to every listener who's not, but... Uh, like I'm trying to picture in my mind what you were seeing in that Nepalese tent where they were working on you when you were being worked on and the world was on fire and it was painful were those people with the glowing being no, who were working I felt on like you? they were like the doctor types maybe this is while I'm in the hospital and my body's in transition but I felt like I was cuffed to the table on an operating table and with other people around me and then it felt this is the strange part. I felt like outside there were bombs blowing up and the world was just going, the world is coming to an end, basically. Yeah, it's like so apocalyptic that, that outside That could have been my world coming to an end. Mm-hmm. You know, that could have been like that transition jump point. And so maybe I'm really in the real world on an operating table where they're working on me, but my mind is taking me somewhere else. So that's why I always had a hard time putting this all together. Yeah. And finally, when I came out, I just decided to accept it. Especially when I was doing all those month throws and things were getting fixed because I went back to that. And I came out, I'm like, dude, what did I see? What happened? Was that just what happens when you're in a coma? I wanted to believe, I believed it so much at that point. And then I started dipping off again. I'm like, now I'm in my reality. I'm in this hospital bed, all these cords going through me everywhere. Doctors tell me I'm not going to live, walk, or talk. And every day it's getting worse. And then I started doing that month run. And all of a sudden things started getting better, better and better. And I was like, and that stuff had to be real, what I'd experienced, what I saw. Those were glimpses of something else, another side. Even if I can't make sense of all of it and put all of the puzzle pieces together, I saw something. Yeah, maybe I'll never put it all together. I got clues. There are clues, exactly. There's signs of other things out there beyond us. And I I was hopeful and happy to believe that. Because like I said, I don't want to be one and done. I don't want to, after 70 or whenever my time is, for me to never be. I would love to know and hope and pray and wish that my soul can move on and go to a different place and somehow... You know, we don't know how it's all created, but for it to keep moving, you know? So do you have like a chronological sense of what you saw? Like first I was in the Nepalese tent and then I went to the beach and then it was like... Yeah, it felt like that because then there was like an airport part too, like a travel center. Like I was lived there, I was stuck there. Can you drop those pins for us in order the best that you have them? And, and just yeah. describe them a little. Was the Nepalese tent that first? That was first. The pain and the sorrow and sadness was first. And where did you go next? And you have no idea how long you were there, obviously, because you were sleeping. Yeah, no, I didn't. And like I said, it was almost dream state. The next time, probably at the transition point, like of an airport. It felt like an airport. You're walking on those, those little moving... Conveyor belts. Yeah, you're walking on those. Yeah. That's when I started noticing the souls. 
as an appalling part, I just thought doctors, masks, and doctors have felt like I was sitting in a room full of surgeons. Yep. And they're all gloved up and they got all you see is their eyes. And then the second part now, I'm in, I'm in this transition place. So it's really felt like an airport. And that's where I noticed my skin tone versus other people around me. And, and you had your human skin tone. And then the weirdest, strangest part, I don't really have ever never talked about anybody in this. I've, I used to, like I said, I used to drink a lot. That's what got me there. I went to a bar in the airport and I look over and I see myself there. And that meant so much symbolism to me that it was like, you got to leave yourself here and leave the drinking and come back. And that was the weirdest thing. Like I came back to wow. that. When I came back to life again and I fixed my life up and again, years down the road, I felt like a whole new person. And then I felt I left part of me back there. In the airport. In the airport, in the bar. That guy's still at the bar chilling and I'm here now. So I've almost said there's points in my life where I felt like I have two lives in one, you know? This might be kind of personal, Raj, but do you do you think that you were an alcoholic or do you just look at yourself? No, I think I'm definitely sure I was. I drank a lot. I got to the point where I was drinking 12-pack every night. 24-pack, actually, after going out partying all the time. Oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine. I built my tolerance up so much. I was six days, uh, seven days a week. I had so many different groups of friends that I made. I'd be out with these guys one night, these guys one night, these guys one night. Mm -hmm. You know, my ethnic friends from college, because I went to see you for, uh, like I said, all those years too. So I had friends from work, because I lived in Boulder and finished my high school there. I had my high school friends, my work friends, and all the different jobs I had. So I was always very social and active. And I was an alcoholic. I definitely was. I drank all the time. Do you think you're still an alcoholic? Some oh, people, no. No, I had to stop after that. Some I, people wait, feel like once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You know what I'm saying? Like, no. You have a um, different take on that? No, I don't, because I smoked cigarettes also for 25 years. Mm. I quit that three years ago. And I tried quitting several times in the past, but then I finally just quit. And now I can't even stand. So I, I can see how you think that people would think that I was always an alcoholic. I think once you overcome something... And that was my original message when we started this, how we have to keep evolving and getting better and taking obstacles out of our way. We should redefine ourselves. And unfortunately, most of us get stuck in our pattern from where we started from our youth or middle of our life of how things should be done and how we define ourselves. We have to always be able to change ourselves. And that's the key. I mean, that's that's the key to my success, you asked me earlier. Yeah, I you had, changed yourself. I did. I've had to transform myself many times. You, via, via you woke up and had to change or you were going to die. Yeah, I had to make a lot of adjustments in my life. I had to rehab. I'd build my body back up. You know, I, I missed a year of work almost. I had to come, when I came back to Colorado, after all these procedures and things, I had to get surgery to remove my pancreas. And then it took months for the sutras to come out of the side of my body. Like, they had to grow out. So there's physical therapy, there's nurses coming to your house. I mean, this is a long, tragic experience, but it compelled me to uh, look at what's important in life, the little things. I could have easily given up at any point. I could have blamed things. And I did go through all those phases. I'm not going to lie. We all go through all those phases of doubt and we hate ourselves or hate the things around us or the situations we're in. But the key is to overcome. That's it. You just keep overcoming. And what I learned from all of this is there's a spiritual side and that's what's helped me overcome. When I have hard times and hard things happen to me, close my eyes, meditate, do something, think about good things, think about positive things, because it's all out there. We just, it's it just, it's up to us to see it or not. If we want to see it or believe it. All right, I'm taking you back to the tent. Yeah. And the airport. Okay. And then what was next? And in the ocean, where it felt like that was a transition place where you go in and come out. 
And most people were going in. And it felt like that's and where... And when they go in, they didn't come back. That's when you make the jump, I felt. So if you had gone in... I feel I'm like trying I, to put words around I feel like in. I did go in, and that's when I realized, but I didn't get to go all the way through. Like, I kind of went in, saw what was happening, that our souls mesh in there. Somehow, that's the transition point. That, that's what I define it as. But like I said, it's going to be different for everybody, and who knows. But in my mind, that's where our souls go to, and then they shoot off somewhere else. I mean, so if you had gone, if you had gone in like all the way, as opposed to waiting well, in and then coming in, out, but it didn't let me go in. You know what I mean? Like I, I walked in the water and stuff. So if you had walked in the water and not come back out, then that feels like that would have been death and yeah. a full transition of the soul. And it felt good there. Like I didn't want to leave that place. When I came out, I was in pain and said, where am I? What's going on? Take me back to that place. I was just at. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, from what I saw and what I remember, that was maybe the jumping point to the next next part of our soul. I don't know. But those are the three big things that dragged on the whole time. And it was like a, almost like a movie, just sitting there, you know, living through it, but not understanding anything that's happening because you've never experienced or seen anything like this. It was really strange. It was but it just, was okay? It sounds like... It was really okay. There was a peace. There was an, an absolute amount of peace I've never felt in my whole life. Like, you don't want to leave when you're there. And you probably haven't felt it again since waking up. Not that way, but I know how it feels. So I can think about that. So whenever I'm really down or have hard times throughout these years, there's always been ups and downs. It's like when those real hard times come, you start thinking about that again. You bring yourself to the good things in life. I, so I'm going to just quick side note. I have a friend I work with. I'm really good about analyzing people and reading them. And so he's, you know, sometimes unhappy quite a bit. And I asked him, like, what's going on with you? I always ask people. I try to get in their heads. And we talk for a little while. And I gave him all these clues. I said, you got to find things that you loved and cherished or had good memories you had to bring yourself back up. You have to be your own psychologist at times. you got to know what makes you tick, what can help you, or what's going to bring you down, what's going to keep taking you down that road you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. Angry, sad, mad, whatever it might be. And you see yourself flowing that way. And you see circumstances pushing you that way. you got to fight to get out of it. And the only person that really can help you is you. And so Such a difficult feeling... Truth. That you were, and that's what I draw to sometimes. In my like, I'm I'm a vegetarian. After that whole situation, I became a complete vegetarian. I was raised vegetarian. I ate meat for a little while, but after that point, I was vegetarian. So then I I did a stint. I was a general manager of Wendy's for five years. Oh my! And the first, during vegetarian status, yeah, I that must have been hell. Well, the hardest part was when I had to learn the grill. And oh my gosh! Bloody meat on the thing. I can't even imagine, Raj. It was so hard for me because I never. I had to close my eyes, and I wanted to walk out the door. I was like thinking of my children. I had a newborn. I was thinking about her, and then my my son was on the way. My daughter was already around. My son. I started thinking about. I'm like, I'm doing this for them, mm. just like my dad did for us when he had to, when he left geology and he went to work in a food place. You know, mm-hmm. you it, it doesn't matter what you do. You just got to keep doing and keep going. But you got to motivate yourself. You got to find in you your own experiences, your friends' experiences, things you've read in books, things you've seen, any inspiration you can find anywhere to uplift yourself. Because once you're uplifted, you can help others around you. And the sad thing is we all have issues that we don't want to deal with. Like I said, I was a smoker for 25 years. My wife just wanted me to quit every day. She was upset with me. And I just, I was like, oh, I don't, I'll quit when you have a kid. I'll quit when you have a second kid. You know, I just never did. It's when you're addicted to things, it's hard to get out of them. Mm-hmm. Or to even realize you're there. Like with the drinking, I used to drink so much. And, you know, my parents don't drink. They've never drinking. My parents never cussed. I never heard my dad say a swear word. He was completely the opposite, yet he still supported me all the time. I would come home crazy drunk in the middle of the night every day. 
and he didn't throw me out. He should have thrown me out, but he's such a kind soul and a good, good man that he they kept us around. And that's what later forged me into where I'm at now. It, it, you have to have people's support, of course, but you have to help yourself more importantly than anything and acknowledge what it is. Because most of us are stuck, unfortunately. I get stuck sometimes too, but I have to keep going back in my mind and finding those things to pull myself out of that. And it's these kind of experiences. This life and death thing was really big and um, just coming out of it, the whole transition took months mentally, physically, to reanalyze and then now, and then you start pushing yourself away from it. Oh, that never really happened, or it did, but it was not as, as significant. It becomes history. Yeah, because now we're back in the flow of this life and what's happening. We're tumbling through everything that's happening at us at the moment. We're tackling, we know what we, what we went through, but what's coming at us. We're looking at the future a lot of times, or probably not so far in the future as we should, because we plan our lives better, but we're looking at later what's going to be lunch, where are we going to hang out, what are we, you know, yeah. our day-to-day. So that we almost get lost. We're so busy doing things that we almost lose ourselves. And so I think that's the key. That's what I learned from that experience. There's something more out there just to have faith and hope it's there, you know? And then so I started scoring myself after that. Started trying to live the best life I could because I'm like, you know what? If that's there, then there's going to be some form. There could be there could be a judgment laid down the road. There's an evaluation coming. How you live your life. There could be a, a report at the end of the day, just like when you pass through school. So... I went back to my roots and I started just, my formula right now to success is just be nice to everybody, helpful to everybody. You know, you're, it's not going to work all the time. People will annoy you and make you unhappy or there are negative people out there. But I navigate through everybody I can. I, I confront people right away, try to help them if they don't like it. You know, we can't be afraid anymore to step outside, to, to walk up to somebody that's in the park yelling curse words and you've got kids around. You're like, dude, please, I mean... My kids are here. My kids are here. Can you just, you can nicely say it. You got to drop fear, basically. Just make things happen around you. And there was there's the one incident where we went to Taos, New Mexico a few years back. Um, I, this is just a funny story of overcoming fear. It was just a quick little story. Side note. Um, I was getting ice. The gas station was about 20 feet away from the ice things. <laughs> You're a needed man. That thing um, has been dinging. <laughs> so crazy. And then I try to open it to make it go away. Um, so I go to the ice bin. I'm walking 25 feet away. My car is way back there by the pump. And I open the ice bin and I hear this truck pull up behind me. And I'm like, oh, God. I look over my shoulder and there's like seven guys in the back. And they're like, hey, bro, give us some ice. And I just got to put my head down, shut the thing, locked it. I'm like, I'm going to get my butt kicked right now. But I turn around to those guys. I'm like, you guys have to go over there and pay for it. Like I did. And I started walking slowly back to the thing. Hopefully I'm not going to have to fight these guys. But I felt I did the right thing at that moment. I was not going to contribute to that. I'm not going to sit there and throw them ice or I wasn't going to go pay for their eyes. It's like you got to learn in certain situations to stand up and you find yourself proud of yourself. These little moments all the time when you help somebody, when you talk to somebody, when you step out of yourself to do something for someone else, there's gratification in that. And a lot of these things I've learned from that experience, it's like, why not? Why be angry all the time? Why be upset that I don't have the things other people have or just enjoy what you have? Do as much as you can in a short lifetime. Because also I learned that I could die at any point. Yes. Once, you, once you've gone through something like that, you know every day isn't given. Yeah. Anything can happen at any point. So it's up to us to live the best we can, do the best we can, eat the best things we can, drink the best things we can. I mean, absorb everything. Make the best friends, help friends out, help random people out. It's a good feeling to guide somebody in the right way, right direction. 
or advise them. I mean, you know, that's all you can really do. Yes. Yeah, because we're all on our own paths, right? We are. We are all on our own paths. And, but you, you do sometimes see yourself ahead of somebody, you know? For example, you. You've been trained in a lot of things. That's why people come to you to unload their demons. And you're trained to work them through that and help them get past those things. So that's just life in general. You're going to run into people and you can either look the other way and keep walking on your own, keep your phone in your face and just, you know, be an introvert or kind of get involved. And there's nothing wrong in either way, either path you go. As long as my goal is like not to hurt anybody, no lying, cheating, or stealing. That's what came out of that whole thing for me. Because I'm scoring myself and somebody might be scoring me. And I'm always thinking somebody's out there because something more is out there. And I'm glad to know that because it keeps me in check. Because I've had to evolve from so many you know, negative things I've done in my life to making my life positive. What does your family think about this experience where you where you went, what you saw? How did your wife respond when you when you told her what had happened to you while you were in the coma? Or what did your parents My family has strong belief in all of this. We're very spiritual. When I was younger, my dad used to have gurus come to our house. There's a couple of very famous gurus from India. And we'd have meditations at our house where hundreds of people would come. Wow. And hardly any of them were Indian. That was the group, the best part. Wow. This is in the 80s and 90s. And we took advantage of this. Me and my brother, my cousins, we just wanted to hang out and play. And, you know, they're trying to do this group meditations. And we're sitting there giggling and stuff. So they, he would, like, separate us, put us all in four different corners and things like that. So these are things at the time that are happening you don't notice. But my soul was getting filled with goodness all those years. Being around that, being exposed to that. Like uh, uh, one of our gurus is Anandima is her name. She's got an ashram. She's got a full temple in India. She goes around and does meditations for people and helps them. In fact, we just saw them three weeks ago. They were here in Colorado. So they would do these meditation programs to help people. They do like these uh, chakra vedas because if you read on chakras, you can find out there's like eight chakras in your body and you got to open each one to kind of get, get to an enlightenment stage. So I, finally, after all this experience, I was taught that when I was younger. I pushed it away. And then after all that happened to me, with the coma and coming out, I became more spiritual and I had all my chakras, chakras open. I went to meditations and went to retreats and things like that. And it has enlightened me. I really, I can sense things about people that I couldn't before. There's just, I can feel like, strangely enough, there's like people that you just don't want to be around, negative energies. You can feel, you can, you can feel a lot more things and see three or four steps ahead. I mean, I, spiritually, I've evolved quite a bit, and it all ties back to that. So my family does very much so believe in that. And they're like, see, see, this is what we've been telling you. Yes, yeah, so you had a community of support. Big community. People didn't think you were insane when no. you woke up. And no, said, I didn't. You guys, it was here's more, where I went. Yeah. Yeah. It's more other people that are kind of already imprinted in their own ways. This is how it has to be. This is what my upbringing taught me. There can't be anything else. There's like, I have friends that say they're atheists. You know, it's like, why do you choose that? Why don't you believe in spirituality, the universe, or something more? And so I understand you may not like written religions, because we've all had bad experiences with written religions. I've been to all my friends' churches. And I'm, I've been to churches where I've been told that if you don't believe this, you, you nothing is. And that shouldn't be the case. It should be, be happy for anyone that believes in something at this point. You know, cherish it and then try to, I dare people to go out there and like compare some of the things in different religions. You'll find a lot of commonalities are there. It's all woven in there. But of course, as humans, our biggest problem is most people read into their religion and take out what they want to extract out of it and apply it to their lives rather than looking at the whole picture. Yeah. And then they feel they're holier than thou. I met so many people that feel they're holier than thou. And it's like, you're just kind of extracting what works for you and applying it, but you're not regarding all the rest of it, the whole message. 
they're taking four pages out of the Bible, and then you live by those four, but you're neglecting the whole rest of the book. Right. You know, if you you get to the core of most of these things, they all come to the same conclusions. They may be written by humans, but there's something that sparked all this. It created, I didn't want to go on a religious rant or any sort of thing. That's why I always go like, something spiritual is out there, and it drives me. And I was so, I feel so blessed. At the time, I was so unhappy that that happened to me. All those things, all those surgeries, procedures, all the little things. And when I left that hospital, when I was checking out, Dr. Bastidish was a doctor, one of the two in America that could have helped me at the time. We sat down and talked about a lot of stuff. And he told me I was a lion. Three or four doctors were in there. They're like, you are a lion. We've never seen anybody come through this kind of this kind of thing with your body and survive. And I was walking out of there with a cane, you know. And I, you know, I had to get back on a plane and come back to Colorado and restart and, and have a surgery done and everything. But it was a mind game for so long trying to figure out what happened. And I left it at that, at that point. I got to keep moving on. I'm like, my life's going to keep going. But I left it that there is something out there and I need to start behaving in a way where I'm helping and doing good. I used to call it being a warrior for the white light. That's why I described it as a white uh, light when I saw it there. Yeah. Which is just trying to be good everywhere all the time, loving everybody around you. You know, there's a little bit of God or spirituality in every single one of us. And I believe that, that that's what's been making me successful ever since that happened to me. So you've done this a little bit already, Raj, but I'm going to ask again, just because this is how we wrap up the story. If you are going to try and distill all of this down that you have shared with us tonight and kind of punctuate it for the listeners in a way where you finish the sentence, guys, all I know is. Guys, all I know is we are all connected and we need to reach into ourselves to purify ourselves of things that, you know, we can, which takes acknowledgement. So you have to know your deficiencies before you can get over them. And it is our duty to ourselves in our short lifespan to do the best we can. We've had ancestors do a lot of work to get us here. Mm. We have lineage after us, you know, some of us. And if, if not, we still have connections to everyone and everything. So I want you to believe there is something out there. No matter how minute or how big you want to make it, the grandeur of it. Believe there's something and just do some, start doing good things. And you'll, I promise you, you'll, get, you'll reap the rewards of it. And that's all I know. I really know this much. Thank you, Raj. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. My pleasure. I want to close our time the way that we always close a show, and that's by going through a questionnaire that James Lipton used to use on Inside the Actor's Studio. Are you familiar with yeah. that show? So you know the it's been questionnaire. A while. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, but since that's my favorite interview show of all time, that's how we wrap up here. So Raj, what's your favorite word? I have to think about that. I have so many favorite words. I never stop talking. I'm a big talker. <laughs> um, improvement. What's your least favorite word? Negativity. It's a general word, but it's just that there's a lot of it out there and you have to learn how to read it. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? Touching someone. Getting a connection with somebody. I wait tables right now. So when you speak to somebody and you find out something about them and they find out something, there's connections made. And I have a great story about this one. I don't know if you want to, if, if it's going back into something, since we're doing the closing No, part. go ahead. 
this is a strange little fun story that happened to me four weeks ago, and this is probably when your mom told you about me, and then we started doing this. Um, on the 5th of May, I think it was, my niece was graduating from CU. I had told um, my employer that I needed it off like a month and a half before. It was blocked out so they couldn't. She's like, I'll give it to you off. I sent her an email, but then a couple of people had left the job there, so they needed me. So the other manager put me on that night. And I was heartbroken because I really wanted to go to her graduation. So I go in in the morning, I had a double shift. Uh, Mary's like, well, you can have the night off. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm sure all my buddies listening to this are going to be happy about this. And uh, so then I went to this party. All right, after I got off work, I rushed to this party in Boulder. Um, got ready and everything. I get there. My niece is there. I have so many nieces and nephews. We have a great loving family. It's amazing. Um, and then I see my cousin and his wife from California. She just got over cancer. I hadn't seen them in a while. Mm. I see another cousin that was there from Louisiana. And we all grew up together back in the day. And then I had another cousin from Nebraska. That happened to be his birthday. So we're all eating. They're having a great time. And all of a sudden, somebody comes running around from the other side of the restaurant and said, there's Bina's husband, Raj. And I hadn't seen this gentleman in over 10 years back from when we had our business. So we reconnected with somebody. They're like, oh my goodness. And this gentleman got so close to my wife that he, they started referring to each other as brother and sister. Aww. We used to own a store in Boulder, a little Indian grocery store. And he even offered back then to help. He's like, if you guys are only days off, I will cover for you. I mean, they grew a quick bond there. Um, and so, and he even went to my daughter's second birthday party and sang this amazing song in, in, in Indian language, like it was a Hindi or Sanskrit song in front of all my relatives. That was that was an amazing day too, my daughter's second birthday party. We had relatives from all over there. It was some, one of those nights. So anyways, this is where the connection happens. I was, we reconnected, had a great night, had a good time. A week later, I'm serving a table at the restaurant. I should have been cut, but one table sat down in my section, an elderly couple. This gentleman, we started talking, he had been um, to 81 countries. Wow. He told me it was either 81 or 83, depending on how the, the geographic thing happens this week. I was like, okay, because the world, I guess, is always changing. Yeah. He told me some interesting story about how he was in Vietnam and how when Vietnam ended or towards the end, he had to sneak into Tibet. It was an outlaw. People couldn't get in there. He stayed at the Dalai Lama. He snuck into a monastery to regain his humanity back. So that's how he described it to me. Oh, wow. So we were just sitting there talking and talking and talking. And the lady there, she's like, I have an Indian employee. I have an Indian employee. So she owns a shop on Pearl Street. She pulls her phone out and shows me a picture that's in front of her shop and all this. And, I'm, and then I'm like, she's like, this is my employee. I'm like, I'm going to tell you a funny story about that guy. That was the guy I had just met a week before that used to be our friend. That you hadn't seen in a decade. Yeah. So there was crazy. connections, crazy connections. So whenever I had these things happen, we all as humans have little things happen, almost like a deja vu or something. You're on the right path. You're meant to be there. That's when I realized that. And so it was just, and now we're talking to, I'm talking to her and we made three or four other connections. So I used to live in Boulder and all that. And I was like, do you know this lady that had a shop on Pearl Street 20 years ago? She's like, yeah, that was my friend. Does she have, and all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, where, where do you guys live? Like we're getting some exchanging information. We live in El Dorado Canyon. I'm like, oh, I have a, a family friends that's lived there for years. They're doctors. And so Unless you reach out to people and start talking, you don't even know how many connections you have. How, would I, how was I to know that with this old man that's been through all these countries and this lady, and I'm just their waiter, how that we would have that connection? And your neighbors, basically. Yeah. And neighbors in life. Mm-hmm. And I have so many stories like that. Like, I've met people, like, since I went back to PF Chains, I ran into people that I knew from 30 years ago. That I was their boss somewhere, or I was a coworker with them, or, you know, friend from high school. It's just... I was like, why am I going back to wait tables? But since I've been there, I've had like six or seven connections like that. I'm like, see, I'm at the right, right place at the right time at the moment. So that's the other thing is you have to learn to recognize things around you in life that are happening. Not just be tunnel vision in a 
I keep referring to technology because my kid's on his tablet all the time. So you can't be into that all the time. you got to walk around, take, take a walk, go to the mountains, take a drive, you know. See this energy. Disconnect. See the energies and lives and things that we have. So there's magic in the world. That's all I'm trying to say with that. And we just have to learn how to read it. That's the key. It's awesome. Yeah. I love that we took the little detour. Yeah. Let's do it again if we need to. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. What turns you off? Again, negativity. I, 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 negative energy. I hate it when people are down and hurting. And uh, I, you know, I've known people that were drug druggies and stuff. And it, just, it hurts you because you see them withering away. And there's so much out there. I've seen friends that have depression or have to pop pills, and you just it makes you very hurt. It hurts you inside. I mean, I, I break, it breaks my heart just seeing random people I don't know in, in, in pain and despair. Yeah. Do you have a favorite curse word? <laughs> you know, I drop the F-bomb quite a bit. Because there's a, there's a part of me that's still angry, you know, inside. And, and I we, it's healthy to have that as long as we acknowledge it. And we use, repurpose that energy. That's a great way to put it. Um, like, I, back when I was a kid, I just run in the walk-in and started cussing it out. But I'm also very angry at a lot of things. When I see these people not awakening and see uh, I'm getting on the other side of it where you kind of mad at other people. Like, why don't you see that all this magic in the world? Come the on, things. wake What's up. What's wrong with you, you know? Why can't you accept things? Why are you so close-minded? Why don't you want to try new things? Well, how about trying a new dish? When I offer stuff, if we, I'm like, try it. you got to try it. You'll never know. My son's a big challenge for me. I try to take him to eat every kind of ethnic food. He's a nine-year-old. He won't eat anything. He just wants to stick to the same stuff. My daughter, on the other hand, she tries everything. I see her thriving in life. I mean, he thrives a different way, but she's like just full of everything. Because I just, my goal is to feed them with everything I can. And I told him last week, I'm like, you guys, I'm not going to know the outcome until 10, 15 years from now. And you're not going to know the outcome. But I'm going to keep stuffing everything I can in the two of you. And we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> we don't, I don't know if this recipe is yeah. going to work. I'm but just, I'm going for I'm it. I want to keep guiding you. I'm going to keep yapping in your ear all day. You might get sick of it. But it's my job and obligation to make sure you guys do well in life, you know? What sound or noise do you love? I love the sounds of birds. I was just over the weekend in Taos, New Mexico, and there was peacocks there. If you learn to listen to them in Colorado, we have so many different birds and just sounds of nature. We forget that because like, I go back to technology and movies. I was a blockbuster manager five and a half years, so I've seen a million movies. We get so toned into fantasy and other things that we forget about ourselves and our life. Good sound? It's just going and sitting in a park somewhere and closing your eyes or going to the mountains. Because we're in, you know, just listening. we're in tone with nature. Listening to people. Another thing is listen to other people. Really listen. And you'll find connections. What sound or noise do you hate? Screaming, pain, suffering. What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? That's a good question because as my age has grown, I've known there's certain professions I would be good at. I would say flying an airplane. Mm. I, I recently met someone at the restaurant. They told me that it could be done for under $11,000. You can get a license, a private license, and be flying all over the United States from airport to airport. And I didn't realize it was that cheap. I'm like, really? Just to get a private license? So you might be on your way. I'm thinking about it. I was talking to my wife now. I mean, you know, we could fly to Vegas. We could fly to different parts of the States, you know, quickly get there, have a good time, come back. So, every, I mean, really everything intrigues me at this point, but, you know, you got to know your limitations where you can do everything. You can't devote all your time in certain areas because your time is already, like, rent. It's owed every month to certain things. 
You know, you, you it's already earmarked. Yeah, yeah, it is exactly. Yeah. So with what little time I have, I want to try to do the best I can. But then again, it goes back to my kids. Whatever I can do, I'm going to try to give them the opportunities to do. I even asked him. I asked the guy, "How old do you have to be to learn how to fly a plane?" He's like 16. So the next day, I was so excited. I told my kids, "I'm like, hey, you guys turn 16. We can get uh, we're working on getting you guys some pilot license if you're interested." Family pilot training. Yeah. Then I, then I, then I just sit in the back, and my son or daughter could drive me or fly me around. Yeah, that's right. So if I can't do it, at least I can. And I've actually told several people, my friends, about this. People that aren't really doing anything. I'm like, you know, you should look into this. It'd be a fun thing. So I always like to share stuff. I learn things that are to pass it on to people. What profession would you not like to attempt? Could it be one I've already done? <laughs> it could. Oh my gosh. Um, any job that takes you away from your family, any job you're um, you're forcing yourself to do, like we talked earlier in the podcast. Yeah. And that's vague, but it applies to everyone in a certain way. There are, we all have things that we're doing that we don't want to do, but we're maybe nobly doing it for our family or for, you know, for other reasons, but that's also hurting you in the long run. Like, honestly, when I was a mailman, it was awful. It was a noble job. People looked up to you. It was physical, a lot of walking and stuff. You're out there all day and all the elements in Colorado, you get the rain day where 10 minutes in, your socks are wet. Yeah. And you know, you got 12 more hours of this or in winter when you're just driving parcels around, you're up early, you're doing 80 hour work weeks. I couldn't do it because I sacrificed time with my family. And then, of course, there's those dirty jobs you don't want to do. Yeah. But, yeah. I just say steer away from, it. Steer away from anything that, keeps you, that, that takes you away from things that are valuable, more valuable than that. And as I've learned getting older, money isn't what I'm chasing anymore. I'm looking at time I have left. I'm in my 40s. As you get older, time becomes more valuable. You can't even waste time having a conversation with certain people. I, I gotta go. We can't. <laughs> there are time for you. You know, when you're younger, you can sit at the bar and talk to random people for hours. Yeah. When you get older, you have to limit. I mean, it's it, a little more choosy. Everything has a cost, you know? Well, thank you for being willing to pay here. This was worth it. When I was asked to do this, I was really honored. And I, I said, if it helps anybody out there, I would gladly do it. Well, I know that it will. I hope so. I know that it will. I hope it touches someone out there and they kind of, you know, go back to something they were on or try something new or, you know, try to enrich their lives or people's around theirs. Because in the end, that's all that matters. Like he says, we're all just dust in the wind, you know? So this last question from the questionnaire, it's almost silly to ask you based on the topic of our conversation today, but we got to finish. We got to have a strong yeah, finish. We do. So if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? I want to get a true eval. And what my, what my spiritual background believes is you're just reincarnated. You come back, you get do overs, but you improve each time or you digress depending on what you did. You asked me how, what I thought about all that. Like there's a score kept is my new mindset. So I want, I would want true evaluation because I don't. I actually want to know everything that there is in the existence of the universe. I want all the knowledge when I get there. But I don't think we're all privy to that until we're ready for that. Just as in anything for life, you're not ready to drive until you have a certain age and you can drive and you can comprehend it. So I would want the opportunity to keep improving my soul and getting to that point where, where you're equal, where you, where you know the omnipotent, where you can understand the whole reality of how this all came to be. I asked my kids the other day, the chicken or the egg? I was like, that's the ultimate question of creation. 
It's a simple equation, but if you ask yourself, you're going to give yourself, you can't really give yourself an answer. So something else, a third element, had to create that. How could the chicken come before the egg, or how could the egg come before the chicken? So that, my question would be, like, give me whatever you can, and if I get another chance, send me back. Because you want to, in, our, in my culture, you, you prove each time until you finally get to the point where you're there. And that is why I believe that so much more now after my experience, and I love that that's a possibility. I don't want to close my mind to that not being a possibility. I want to know that after my 70, 80 years on this planet, when my life is over, that there's more. So that'd be my question. Thank you so much for joining us today. And for having me. For being here. And you're welcome back if you want to come tell us more stories okay. about growing up with immigrant parents or Traveling anything else that flows up for you. Yes. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears, and we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, Please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's jess, J-E-S-S, dot know at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us here at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can.